All right. Well, good to see all of you here tonight. And we're going to get into the second half of uh, chapter 2 of Second Peter. It is good stuff. We're talking about faith's contentions. What faith contends? What faith contends? <laughs> Can't do any better than that. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you will speak to us. Lord, we know that we approach now the very living word of God. The word of God. And we pray, Lord, your blessing right now. We pray for your touch. We pray that you will open our understanding. We pray you will feed our souls. And Lord, those that are watching by streaming video who couldn't get here, we pray you will bless them, minister to them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit touching us right now. Now, would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive this word as the very word of God. Build my faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, glad you made it. The lights are going on and off. Are the lights going on and off for a reason? Or, oh, we're good. Okay. Just kind of wondered. All right. Um, good to see those of you that made it here. And... Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, like I said last time, whoever prayed for rain, stop. Stop. We're ready for, but the next few days are looking very sunshiny and nice, so that's, that's nice. Now, as we get into this, I got I to gotta forewarn you. Simon Peter is not a politically correct guy. I'm just warning you. Uh, he's tough. As a matter of fact, as I was reading this tonight, or not just tonight, but getting ready for it, the past couple of days, it struck me that he wouldn't be very welcome in very many of our American churches right now. I even wonder how many would welcome Jesus himself. But Simon Peter is going to get down tonight, and he is going to blister false teachers. And I'm just the messenger boy. I didn't write it. I'm going to teach it. But uh, he, he's very, very strong. He, he's very strong. And uh, again, I don't know, uh, you know, these days when, you know, people are so afraid of being offended by every little thing, uh, you know, I think Simon Peter would be offensive to some today, maybe to many. So last time we closed out discussing the contempt with which godless people treat authority. Ever noticed that? They hate authority. We also saw Peter look back in history. Uh, to remind us that God judged three different entities. He judged angels, he judged Noah's generation, and he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And Peter's letting us know if he, if he judged those three, he'll, he'll judge you as well. In other words, God's a God who has a line in the sand, and nobody knows what that line is but God himself. But there comes a moment when he says, you know what, he's kind of there with Popeye, I've had all I can stands. And I can't stand no more. And he lets it go. And he judges. And picking up now in Second Peter in chapter 2, verse 12, we begin with Peter's description of apostates. Now, let me tell you what an apostate is. An apostate is, is, refers to those who have masqueraded as Christians, but they never really knew Christ. That's an apostate. They eventually shed their pretense and they go full bore into false teaching and godless living. It's important to keep in mind the difference between an apostate and a backslider. 
A backslider is a, a genuine Christian who gets caught up in some sin and they slide away from God. I, I like front sliding instead of backsliding. Amen? I like sliding towards God. But they backslide. And they get out there and they get caught up in various sins and, and whatever. And one of two things is going to happen to a backslider who's a genuine child of God. God's going to take him to the woodshed and ch- chasten them severely, um, depending on how quickly they repent. And I've noticed that if, if, if somebody backslides... God will chasten lightly at first, it gets stronger and it gets stronger until finally some real serious stuff goes down in the life of that person that's backslidden. If they don't repent, they can die early. I know that's heavy, but I can show you the verses. That's a backslider. They never ceased being a child of God. The apostate never was a child of God, but they had a pretense They masqueraded as Christians. And as I said, they let that pretense go somewhere along the way, and it becomes very clear who they were and who they are. Now, Peter is going to expose, like I said, he's going to blister uh, apostate people. He deals a little bit with backsliders, but but he's going to really blister these apostates in order to warn us of their methodology, how they do what they do, and their true character. And he's not going to pull any punches. He begins with a biting description of them. Look at verse 12. But these, that is apostates, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they don't even understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. These are heavy words. Can everybody say with me, heavy? I mean, this is just the first verse. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelt. And he's already calling them beasts and brutes and letting us know they're going to perish. Now, the apostates, says Peter, are going to be destroyed. That's the bottom line. They are compared to natural brute beasts. Now, when you're, when you're going through books like this, words are very important. And so I'm going to do uh, some word studies here. I'm going to show you what some of these words mean in the original language in which they were written. And when you deal here first with... Uh, natural brute beasts, it means they're driven by natural instincts like an animal. You know, an animal never thinks something through. An animal is just instinctually driven. And he's comparing these apostates to animals. they're, They're driven by natural instincts, the baser instincts and carnal desires of the fallen nature. Brute suggests they don't have any reason. They're without reason, or we would say common sense. Now, what they've done is they have traded divine revelation for human reasoning, always a bad idea. Never trade divine revelation for human reasoning. Your human reasoning will lead you astray. That's why we need our Bibles so much, because it's six, six books of divine revelation. Now, these apostates end up abandoning common sense and logic for sheer, i got to say it, Stupidity. Their stupidity is shown in how they speak evil of things they don't even understand. You ever been witnessing to somebody and they're taking off and talking about this and that and the other, maybe slamming the Christian faith, and you can tell they don't even know what they're talking about. Now, last time we saw how these apostates 
speak evil of dignitaries, the very angels of God and even God himself. They are utterly ignorant of the fact that the unseen world exists and they mock those who believe that it does. I know how often you've gotten out there and witnessed and actually been mocked and laughed at and ridiculed. I've even had people sit in church, now, not for a while, but I've, I've had it happen on and off where they'll sit in the first couple of rows here and laugh at me while I preach. Oh, yeah. Smirk, make faces, uh, cut jokes with whoever they're with. And I always think to myself, oh, they're in trouble. Not with me. But when you're listening to the word of God preached and taught and you're mocking it and ridiculing it in the house of God, you're in trouble. You just don't know it. They also mock the idea, these apostates, of, of Satan, demons, the existence of evil, all of which hold our world and even them in bitter bondage, but they don't know it. In the same way, folks, I'm telling you, we increasingly live in a world of foolish mockers. I don't know how much you watch news. I don't, I don't watch news. I see YouTube clips. I haven't watched a newscast, I'm telling you, in years. I haven't watched a network newscast, ABC, CBS, NBC, in probably 25 years. Why would I give them my time? They're totally biased and, and not truthful. And, I'm, and I, my, I'm minored in journalism, and I used to do news. You didn't know that. I used to be on KRLD, 1080 AM, reading news. Right there, your pastor, on the mic reading news of the state of Texas, and I saw that world. And I saw the way that when a conservative-leaning story came through, they would want you to edit it and not let it be so conservative. I, I know what happens there. I have been interviewed on, on local uh, television, and when I saw the newscast, they had, they had changed it where it wasn't at all what I said. Please be smart about this. Now, we live in a world that is increasingly filled with foolish mockers that rail against the authority of God, God's Son, Jesus Christ, and those who love him. And Peter is telling us their day is coming. Peter assures us they will utterly perish in their own corruption. Death, did you know this, is God's ultimate answer to those who abuse him and mock his son. Death is the great equalizer. Let me give you an example. There's probably no man in all of history that uh, attacked Christianity more bitterly and I might say more eloquently than the 19th century Enlightenment atheist Voltaire. Uh, very brilliant man, just a, an incredible writer, uh, just, just had, a, had a mind. But his mind got him into, into trouble because he totally reasoned God out of his life. And uh, he, he became a, a vociferous critic of Christianity and Christ and Christians and the church and everything. Now, his writings against the church, God and Christians, were voluminous. And if you, if you were to Google his name, I'm not suggesting you do it, but it would kick up thousands of hits because he was well-known in 19th century Europe. But as he neared death at 84 years of age, look at this letter that he wrote, quote, I, the underwritten, do declare that for the four days past, having been afflicted with vomiting of blood and not being able to drag myself to church, 
having been visited by a representative from the church, I did confess to him that if it pleased God to dispose of me, I would die in the church in which I was born, hoping that the divine mercy will pardon my faults I sign myself Voltaire. This written by a man who his whole life wrote that there was no God. But here's the deal. He never repented. He never turned to Christ. Reconciliation with the church is not reconciliation with Christ. The atheist who had so brazenly mocked Christ and Christians his whole life died with such shrieks and blasphemies on his lips as to drive the nurses and doctors from the room. Death is the great equalizer. Voltaire met the grim reaper without a savior. Amen? Now, Peter is telling us, these who, who mock, you know, we're, we're going to give an answer for every word we say. These mockers, these ridiculers, these critics, these blasphemers, they, they think they're just, you know, they're just spouting off their mouth in the prime of their life, but, but it's all being recorded. And when death comes, they've got to meet their maker. And that's what Peter's wanting us to know. Now, he goes on to describe the lifestyle that often accompanies apostasy. What is it? He says, and, and they, apostates, will receive the wages of unrighteousness. As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Boy, he's full of metaphors, isn't he, tonight? He, is, he has got all kinds of ways of describing these people. How would you like to be called a spot? How about a blemish? Well, he just called them that. That's not very politically correct, is it? For the apostate, Peter is telling us life is one big party. They have no concern about the normal constraints of time and duty. They carouse in the daytime. And then they're spots and they are blemishes. But look, look where he is seeing them. At your feast. He's talking to Christians and he's saying, they're in your feast. They're attending your love feast. And that's what I believe he's referring to here. The love feast of the Christians of the early church. These brazen apostates cared nothing for the Christians in their hearts. They only wanted to eat the food that was being offered. They ate with them. And all the while, they're inwardly mocking them, hypocrites of the first order. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. If God put this in the word of God, does he want us to know it? Amen? Give me an amen. Y'all are quiet tonight. I know it's wet outside. But, but do you think that God wants us to know this? Why do you think he wants us to know this? He wants us to know it because if it happened then, it happens now. He wants us to know it so that we won't be... Uh, uh, gullible, naive, you know, can I, can I just say something without it being taken wrong? There is such a thing as stupid love. Stupid love is when you think that if you love someone, you believe anything that they say, you go along with anything that they want, you never correct, you never do it because we've got to love them. We've got to love them. So you never call out their sin. Uh, uh, you, you, you let them get away with all kinds of things because, after all, you are called to love. But Jesus didn't have stupid love. Do you remember how many times he rebuked the Pharisees and called them all kinds of descriptives? He nailed them for who they really were. 
Now let me ask you, when he called them whited sepulchers, whitewashed walls, hypocrites, and all the different names he called them, was Jesus not speaking in love? Hey, he was perfect. And he was God. And we're told that God is love. So can I tell you, real love is not stupid. Real love corrects. Real love calls a spade a spade. Real love is honest. Real love will love the object of the love enough to address what is wrong in the object of the love in hopes that they turn and get right with God and get their lives put in order. In other words, real love will whoop you. Real love will chasten you. This sloppy agape that we've got, this concept we've got in the church today, can I, can I say something else? God never called Christians to be nice. So we got this picture of Christianity. All Christian men should just be nice guys, really nice guys. Oh, I, if I'm a Christian, I'm just a nice guy. I don't want to be a nice guy. I want to be a real guy. And I want to walk in love. And real love, hey, Jesus loves me, and he has corrected me a million times. In love. Amen? So here's Peter. He's saying, let me tell you the truth about the church. There you are having a love feast, and and you need to know that you've got apostates that are right there with you, who who know how to talk the talk, and and they're right there with you. And he says, he's basically saying, don't be naive. Don't be stupid. Don't be gullible. You'll know them by their fruits. He calls them spots, which is a word meaning a stain. And blemishes points to the shame, the moral disgrace, and the licentiousness of the false teachers. I think the whole idea here is the church is really not in much danger from the outside. The church is in more danger from the inside. Because it's the apostates and the false teachers that weasel their way in, talking all the right talk. And once you believe that they're true believers, they start coming off with false teaching, false doctrine, false concepts about God. And as we're about to see, they lead many astray. Now, he said they carouse in the daytime. The word carousing means to live in luxury. These false teachers were doing very well financially based on their teaching. I'm going to deal with that in a minute too. Now finally, Peter says they were carousing in their own deceptions. That means to cheat or to give a wrong impression. They were fakes and they were phonies when in the presence of Christians, they knew how to talk the talk, but they never intended to walk the walk. Amen? And Peter goes on to say, guess what? They're enslaved to sin. He says in verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and they are accursed children. Everybody say, woo. I mean, this is hot, y'all. I mean, think about what we're reading. Think if he was talking to somebody. Your eyes are full of adultery. You can't stop sinning. You're, you're going after unstable souls. You're, you're trained in covetous practices. You're accursed. That's hot. Everybody say, that's hot. Okay? The word entice here has the idea of catching something by means of bait. 
They use the bait of smooth words and false promises to allure other people into sin. Peter is telling us they can't look on a woman without lust. Having eyes full of adultery. They're lust-driven. They live lust-driven. And not only do they abandon themselves to the lust of the flesh, but they entice people who are weak and unstable. They target unstable souls. All the cults do this. All the cults do this. Those not firmly rooted and grounded in the faith are the ones that they target. Perhaps new Christians or those on the periphery of the church. Like wolves, they stalked the weak. That's what these apostates do. That's why when you get a knock on your door and somebody's out there in a white shirt and a black tie, you need to know your Bible. Amen? Because what they're looking for is people who don't know their Bible, who are unstable, who are not fully rooted and grounded in Christ. And it's not just the cults, but it's all the false concepts and false morality and all that has infiltrated our culture that is not biblical, not of God, that is in fact sin. If we don't know the Bible and are stable in Christ, we're targeted by the false teachers. Amen. Now I want you to notice what they are the most skilled at. Peter says this, not me. He says they have a heart trained in covetous practices. That means they're after your money. They have honed their skills at lining their pockets with the money of gullible people. They're sophisticated in the art of seducing people to empty their wallets. Now remember, he's telling us they're in the church. They're in your love feasts. They are masquerading as Christians, but they're after your money. Amen? I mean, uh, so I don't know how far to go with this. I want to be real careful what I say, but... If you're ever listening to somebody who is a Christian preacher or teacher, or that's what they say they are, and they're not a financial teacher per se, but they're supposed to just be Bible teachers, and all you ever hear is money, money this, money that, money the other, send your seed in, and when you're, you sow your seed into this ministry, then you know, you're going to be protected for the rest of the year, and God's going to bless you with a hundredfold, and all these, these promises that are made. And you've got, to be, you've got to be smart here, church. The Word of God is right here warning us that false teachers are skilled at getting your money. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reading the Bible. You, you didn't know this was in the Bible, did you? Well, here it is. They're trained. They know how to say it. They know how to express it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't sow into someone's ministry. That's not what I'm saying. But it's this stuff on, you know, let's say today is October 23rd. And one of them is on, let's say, TV, and they say, well, it's October 23rd, and God told me if you send in your $23 based on the fact that it's October 23rd, then you're going to have 23 different blessings for the rest of this year, and on and on they go. God told them. I'm going to tell you, no, he didn't. God doesn't talk that way. God doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't manipulate. He touches your heart to give. But he doesn't manipulate. He doesn't give false promises. I know people who have left the church because they heard some promise from some, um, some teacher or some preacher on television or whatever that if they gave, I had one lady, she, she heard a guy, and he said, he went right up to her and he said, God is showing me that, that if you do this and that, if you sow this and that, then, then your husband who has left you is coming home. And she 
threw that money in there quick, said hallelujah, and she was all up and excited. Well, her, her husband who had left her divorced her and married someone else, and she never went back to church. They, they target unstable souls, people who don't know the Bible. That's who they target. People who aren't fully rooted in Christ, that's who they target. And they're skillful at getting your money. They're cursed children, Peter says. You know, Jesus once said that until he returns, the tares, and a tare means false Christian, would grow up right alongside the wheat, real Christians. Only at his second coming will everything be exposed for what it is. These apostates often exist right alongside true believers. But they are cursed children who will be exposed at the Lord's return. This is just reality. I guarantee you, at any given church or any given Sunday in, in, in this church or any other, there are people who, who give the impression they're Christians, but, but they're not. They're not. Now, maybe they're self-deceived. I don't know. But there are people in churches all over America and all over the world. They just, they just go to church. They like to go to church but they've never had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. There's something about the church they like, the, the social atmosphere, the, um, whatever it might be, the music, whatever it might be. But they've never been born again. They've never been born again. That's why all the time we give the invitation to receive Christ because there's people all the time who don't know Jesus. Now, next, Peter compares them to a famous Old Testament sellout named Balaam. Balaam's a weird cat. Let's read verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved, what did he love? Read it with me. The wages of unrighteousness. That means he loved money, all right? And he, and he didn't mind getting it unrighteously. So he, Balaam was a real mix of a character. He had some knowledge of the true God, but he was also known as a soothsayer. That's why Balak, the king of Moab, sent for him. Because Balaam was known as a soothsayer. A soothsayer is a person who predicts the future by magical means, also known as a fortune teller or a diviner, palm reader. Any, anybody in that realm, that's a soothsayer. Balaam was known as a soothsayer, but he also did seem to have some knowledge of the true God. Now, one day, Balak, the king of Moab, sent for Balaam because he wanted Balaam to curse God's people as they traveled through the land in their wilderness wanderings. He wanted Balaam to come and believing that Balaam was kind of a supernatural guy, he wanted Balaam to curse them because he didn't want them going through his land. Balaam at first could only speak blessing over them because the Spirit of God kept coming upon him. Right when he was supposed to stand up there and curse God's people, the Spirit of God came on him, and he would speak incredible blessings over them. But when Balaam realized he was about to lose his financial gig with the king of Moab, he sold out. And here's how he sold out. He told the king, look, you can't conquer God's people with a curse, but you can ruin them with corruption. Did you catch that, church? He then advised the king something diabolical. He said, look, get all of the Moabite women, send them among the men of Israel to seduce them sexually and lure them into idolatry. Then here's what Balaam said. Then God himself will judge his people. In other words, Balaam's tactic was to set God's people up for judgment. Everybody say wicked. 
Because you know what? That's exactly what Balak did. He sent the Moabite women in among them, and they successfully seduced many of the men of Israel, and they fell. Now, this, says Peter, is what the apostates are all about. Like Balaam, the money is more important than God. The wages of unrighteousness. If I've got to get it unrighteously, I'll get it unrighteously. Now, Peter points out how bound and really, truly crazy Balaam was. It's hard to believe this this story, but I believe it because it's in the word of God. Peter says in verse 16, Balaam was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And you know the story. He's headed towards the Moabites, ready to sell out. And the donkey he's riding starts talking to him. And that's when it's time to get right with God, folks. The donkey started talking to him. And Balaam got, was so crazy. Listen, he was so blinded with thoughts of the king's gold, that even when God rebuked him with the voice of his own donkey, he could not be stopped. He started arguing with the donkey. I should kill you. The donkey answers back, how long have I served you? And I've never led you astray. I mean, really, you got a talk going on here, a real time of fellowship. He should have stopped and thought, wait a minute, donkeys don't talk. This is God talking to me. And he should have turned around and hooked him the other way. But you know what? He kept going. Everybody say, that's crazy. No rebuke from God, here's Peter's point, can stop the apostates from their materialistic lust. But Peter's not near finished yet. He continues with two powerful metaphors to further describe these false teachers. He's full of metaphors tonight. Verse 17. They are wells without water. They are clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. First, they're wells without water. What is that a picture of? They promise something they can't deliver. They promise something refreshing, water, well water, to those who listen to them. But once those people reach the end, once those people find out what the false teachers are all about, they, they realize they've come up with nothing, that they were empty on the inside, vacuous and hollow. There's nothing there. And that's what happens anytime you get involved in a cult. Anytime you follow false teaching, if it's not the teaching of the word of God, folks, you end up with empty hands. But then he said, don't forget Jesus. He promised the woman at the well, and he was the total opposite. He's the real deal. He said, you put your faith in me, I'm going to give you living water, and you will never thirst again. Now, that's the difference between a false teacher and the real McCoy. Amen? But then he said, they're also like clouds carried by a tempest. So they're high, they're lofty. They appear to be all together, have it all together, and and to be way up there, just elevated by, by God. But they are, in fact, carried by a tempest. That's a word for tornado or hurricane, a tempest of destruction. They may ride high as clouds do, but they bring ruin in their wake. They have power, but it's destructive power. This is false teachers. Now, I don't think I'm talking to people who don't understand what this is about. How many of you know there's many false teachers in our generation? They're on TV, are they not? They're on the radio, not me. They're on the radio, right? They sell books, right? 
They, they send out periodicals, right? They hold big, big uh, meetings, right? But, but how do you know a false teacher is a false teacher? You've got to know the word of God. That's why I harp on it like a broken record. We've got to know the word of God. If you don't know the real thing, how are you going to tell what the fake is? Peter vividly describes the eternal fate of these false teachers. A mist of darkness. Eternal, endless darkness. That's their final end. You look at them sometimes and it just seems like they prosper. And, and nothing ever happens to them. Peter's letting us know their, their time is coming. And it won't be pretty. A mist of darkness. In hell, you will not look up your old beer buddies and sit around talking about old times. Hell is a mist of darkness. And it is called fire as well. No fellowship going on in hell. Torment. That's it. Now, now he talks about their empty words. He talked about them as people. Empty wells, uh, uh, clouds like a tempest. But now he says, let me talk to you about their words. He says, when they speak great swelling words, look how he calls it, of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped. This is talking about people who got saved. They allure people who have escaped, have come to Christ, have escaped sin from those who live in error. Now, great swelling words are a perfect picture of, of their teaching. They may be eloquent. They may be impressive. They may be charismatic. But their words are empty. I mean, i got to think of politicians here. I'm sorry. But you hear so many politicians give speeches. And they give good speeches, but, you, but, but as you're listening, you, you get this hollow feeling. Like, I'm just listening to emptiness. And I've listened to, to false teachers myself. And as they go on and on, they, they know how to talk. They're wordsmiths. But if you listen long enough, you start finding that they're just devoid of truth. It's empty. I, I love this description. One commentator puts it, they're intoxicated by the exuberance of their own verbosity. I just had to read that. I just love the way that flows. They're intoxicated by the exuberance of their own ver verbosity. In other words, they love to hear themselves speak. But they're devoid of truth. And not only are they empty words, but they're also alluring words, Peter says, designed to appeal to the carnal appetites of their hearers. These apostates aim their words to the lower natures of people. Not just lustful things, but materialistic things as well. But they appeal to what the flesh wants. Not to the inner man, the born-again man, the, the things of God. They don't minister the things of God, but they speak to appeal to what your flesh would want. And not only are their words empty and alluring, but Peter ends up, or finishes saying, they're also ruinous to new Christians. Peter says they target people who have just escaped the clutches of the devil. He describes it, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error and haven't yet escaped. They target the new believers. That's why when somebody gets saved here, we work hard to keep them either here or in some local church. Because I got saved in juvenile home, but nobody followed up with me. Nobody. 
And I was given a little striped New Testament, good news for modern man. And when, when I got released from juvenile home, I didn't know what to do. I had no clue what to do. I didn't know to go to church. I wasn't raised in the Christian church. I wasn't raised in Christianity at all. I didn't know what to do. Nobody followed up. So as a result, I really drifted and wandered for a couple of years because nobody followed up. The false teachers look for the newborns. They look for the newborns. And and they try to lure them away with their false teaching. And their pitch to them is a promise of liberty. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome. I want us to all read this together. This is so important. Let's read it starting with four. For by whom... A person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. So what are you overcome with tonight? I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm overcome by God. Christ has overcome me. He has captured me. But if something else overcomes you and enslaves you, you're brought into bondage. And liberty is their pitch. If you do what I say, you're going to be free All your needs are going to be met. All the longings of your heart are going to be answered. If you'll just follow my teaching, if you'll do what I say, this is the message of most cults. But Peter says, even the teachers are bound. You can't give what you don't have. And these false teachers can't deliver liberty when they themselves are the slaves of corruption. But that's their pitch, liberty. Now, Peter next warns new Christians of the consequences of listening to them. He says in verse 20, now here we're talking about backsliding. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, that's Christians, new Christians, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome by false teaching. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. If you have tasted of Jesus and then you become ensnared in a false teaching, you will wind up in a worse place than before you were saved. Amen. This is why false teachers and false teaching are so ruinous. It's why we must know our Bibles in order to recognize and flee from it. That's why all the time, church, I'm up here, you'll you'll hear me repeat certain things a lot. One of them is you got to know your Bible. You have to know the Word of God. You have to know the truth because... The more you know the Bible, the less likely you're ever going to be deceived. Amen? I'm amazed at how little actual Bible many Christians know. Um, and I'm not being critical. I, I've, listen, I've pastored for 35 years. I've dedicated my life to helping God's people, ministering to God's people. I love God's people. But I've got to tell you, I've noticed through the years how, how bereft of Bible knowledge many Christians are. That's why we have these Wednesday nights. I don't think you're ever going to learn the Bible just based on a Sunday morning topical message. We need to know the whole counsel of God. Paul told the Ephesians when he was about to leave and, and go to another place, and he said, you're never going to see me again. And they wept and they cried on him. But he said, but let me tell you what I did when I was here. I, I did not fail I never ceased to tell you, to give you, to teach you the whole counsel of God. The Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So that's why we go through whole books. That's why 
All my messages are Bible-based. I quote tons of scriptures, any, anything I ever preach or teach. I'm preaching and teaching tons of scriptures. Why? Because the more you hear it, the more you're going to know it. And the more you know it, the more deception-proof you are. Because I've seen what deception can do. I've seen what false teachers can do. Listen, I've been around a long time. I've seen what they can do. I pastored a church one time, uh, my first church in East Texas. And I was young, and, and, and I was very green in, in the pastorate. And um, so I was learning a lot of things sort of the hard way. And we had a group of great people. It was a wonderful church. It really was. Uh, I hated to leave it. Um, but there were a lot of older couples that were sort of moms and dads uh, in the house of God, you know, uh, fathers and mothers in the house of God. And there was this one couple that all of us, we, we would go to their house and, and uh, they, they would take care of, of the needy. And uh, he had made a lot of money in his life. And so he had this beautiful, uh, huge uh, log house that he had had built uh, on, on land. And it was just this beautiful thing. And, and um, everybody loved him. Everybody knew them. And then one Sunday I realized I hadn't seen him in a while. You'd be amazed what I notice. I'll notice if you're gone for a while. Gotcha. I'll notice. I'll ask, now where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? And so-and-so, I haven't seen him in a while. Well, it hit me that I hadn't seen him in a while, so I began to inquire. And one person told me, said, Pastor Jeff, listen, they let some couple into their house, and this couple has been teaching them Stuff that we're just not sure about. And I went, really? Well, what is it? And they said, well, I don't know. But it, but it seems that it's a little bit anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. So I said, no, they would never believe that. But they were absent, absent, absent. Finally, I went over there, looked them up. Oh, yeah, well, this couple's with us. They're sharing us with us things, Pastor Jeff. We've never heard. Well, that's the first key right there. If you've never heard it, if somebody is saying, I've got a new revelation. No, 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 no. I, I don't need new revelation. I've got 66 books of revelation to study. I don't need any new revelation. But it's a new revelation, and we're learning all kinds of cool things. And I said, well, like what? Well, that we're, we've learned that, did you know, Pastor Jeff, Jesus really was not Jewish? And I said, oh, really? That is a new revelation. I said, where do you get that? And they went off into this crazy, zany teaching. And I said, listen, that's not true. And their countenance towards me changed. And I knew I was welcome to leave. And I walked away. And they went from bad to terrible to totally, I, I didn't know them anymore. False, a false teacher, an apostate, had gotten into their house. And now they're having Bible studies, so-called Bible studies, with this couple inviting others from my church. And I said, no, I lowered the boom. I said, no, no, you don't go there. It's false. The last time I saw the man, it was at a restaurant, and I sat down with him, and his countenance, I, I, I hate to say this, but it was evil. 
He had been totally changed. And he spouted off about how Jesus could never have been one of those nasty, filthy Jews. Do you know what? In a month, he was gone. What happened? I saw firsthand what false teaching does. This couple, oh, they were charismatic. Oh, they were graceful and gracious and well-spoken. There seemed to be a light around them. It seemed like they really knew their Bible. They were eloquent, smooth operators. But I saw this couple completely changed. The woman never came out of it. The family was split over it. The kids had to walk away from them because of this false teaching. They left their church because of the false teaching. And they became isolated and lonely. And I'm telling you, I'm not just up here whistling Dixie. I'm telling you that Peter is warning us about apostates and false teaching infiltrating the church of Jesus Christ. And you've got to be very wise in the scriptures. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Now he's talking about the apostates here and we're about to close. He closes his warnings with a somber word to these apostates who had heard, they had heard of the way of righteousness, but they rejected it. Verse 21 and 22, for it would have been better for them, now he's talking to the apostates, not the backsliders, not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, this is really gross, quote, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed who are wallowing in the mire. That's his last two descriptions of these people. Wow. He calls them a dog and a sow. Now, let's, use, let's, let's finish with what these illustrations mean. First, they are foul within, like a dog returning to its vomit. And they are filthy without, like a sow returning to rolling around in the mud. The dog illustrates total degradation of appetite. Have you ever noticed that lost, have you ever seen what people will do outside of Christ, what they will consume mentally, intellectually, spiritually, physically, what they will do when they're in the clutches of sin? Have you ever really thought, stop and think about it? The dog, the dog illustration means that, that when you're out there, you're under the influence of false teachers or you are a false teacher, you'll devour the foulest thing. Likewise, no matter how vile or filthy, the dog-like apostate will feed on it. I believe that one of the clearest signs of the Holy Ghost in your life is you will push away from you things that are foul, dirty, filthy, and wrong. Because he's called the Holy Ghost. The pig illustrates total disregard of appearance. It chooses the bog over the bath. Likewise, the apostate has no concern for the care for the ordinary restraints or opinion of society. They revel in and they brazenly trumpet their vile lifestyles i ask you are we seeing that in our day people brazenly trumpeting their vile lifestyles are we seeing that nothing new under the sun in both cases the animal reveals its true nature the dog and the pig do what they do because they are what they are likewise the apostates may have on sheep's clothing for a while but they will eventually shed it to reveal their true nature now in closing 
let me ask you, why is it important for us to see these things? Because this has not been an uplifting, jump up and shout teaching. This, this has been tough stuff. So why did God tell us these things? Why did he put it in the word? Peter did it first because he loved us enough to tell us the truth about the dangers of false teachers and teaching. Never forget it. Right when you think it can't happen to you, you are confronted with, approached by false teaching. Second and last, he wanted to strip away the fake, dazzling image so often portrayed by false teachers to expose the truth of how they live and what their true motives are. Amen? Next time, Peter exposes the scoffers. He's on a roll. Amen? All right. I think I might have time. If anybody has, I, 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 I want to take a couple of questions. If you have one, if you don't, I don't want to push it. But if you have a question for me about anything I taught tonight or just a theological question that's been on your mind, raise your hand. And if you don't, we're just going to close. But if you do, I want to give you a chance to ask. Yes, sir, over here. I got two different questions, all right? Uh-oh, you brought something written down. I'm in trouble. The first question is, what do you say or do to people who mock God and who laugh at, and laugh at him? I can't, you need that closer. What do you do and say to people who mock and laugh at God? Well, if, if I'm talking to somebody about the Lord and they begin to laugh and mock, I walk away. Because you're not going to get anywhere with that person. Uh, the Bible is very clear. Uh, that when we are talking to people who are ensnared by the devil in their minds, they either don't believe in Christ or they have accepted some kind of false doctrine. The Bible says we are to humbly, gently uh, address them and answer their deception with truth. And hopefully, if you approach it that way, they will listen. But if they don't listen, what is there to do but to walk away? Because I will not argue with people. I will not enter into an argument. Not on Facebook, not anywhere. I will not enter into an argument, right? So um, I, I just leave. I say, you know what? God bless you. Thanks for your time. And I go. Don't waste your time. So go ahead. All right. My second question is how can I or someone else prevent the apostates from entering into our lives and corrupting our families. Well, you, you walk away. Now, the Bible says that if a false teacher comes to your door, don't let them in. Did you know that? It says don't let them in. Now, I have fun with it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. I let them in. And I've had them, I've had them blowing steam out their ears at me because I know how to answer a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. I know how. But most don't, uh, unless you study it. Now, I may teach on this sometime and tell you how to answer them. Uh, it's, it's not difficult. They get you on, on a, they're taught how to deceive you, how to lure you into a false uh, message. And if you know their, their tricks, you can, you can stop them. I've had them get right up and slam the door, walk right out and slam the door. I say, bye. <laughs> um, so uh, it says don't let them in. I, I think when, when you're approached with a false teaching, you just say, you know what, I don't believe that sound, and, and thank you, and, and, and leave. You're not required to sit and talk to them unless you know how to answer them, and there's a hope that maybe you can turn them, but you've got to know the tricks because they're trained very well 
to uh, throw you. And it's amazing. I read recently how many Christians every month join the Mormon church. And the only way that happens is they don't know their Bible. Because if you know your Bible, a Mormon can't get around the house. You've got to know your Bible. Okay? Anyone else? Any other questions? All right, let's get home before there's a flood. All right, let's stand together. Amen. How many of you are glad you came to church tonight, even though it was serious? Amen. Now, we're to walk in love towards all people. And that couple, I got to tell you, it broke my heart. And um, I loved him to the end. When I saw him in the restaurant, I walked right up to him and hugged him and asked him how he was doing. The boy, he was gone. False teaching. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your touch. Thank you for being with us tonight, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that we will walk in wisdom, walk in love, that if we're approached by false teaching, by whatever medium, television, radio, book, in person, that we will recognize it for what it is and turn it off, walk away having been saved by the word of God that dwells in our heart. And Lord, help us to love people who are ensnared, but to be wise as a serpent and then gentle as a dove. Help us, Lord, at turning point to be a light of truth, a voice of truth and of love. In Jesus' name we pray.